You're listening to The Tech Box. Welcome everybody to episode 34 of The Tech Box. I'm David Rich and I'm joined by Mr. James Honeyball. Hi James. Hi David, how's it going? Oh, it's been a while, hasn't it? Well, for me anyway, not for you. You're an old hand at all this. Well, that's the problem when, you know, you've got bits of life coming in the way of uh, discussing tech. It's uh, very inconvenient. Yeah, we have all seemed to be really busy as well today, to be fair. I, I, I monitored the group and uh, literally one post. Yes. And that was to say how dead it was. Well, I'm having problems with my notifications on my phone. So I just assumed it was the notifications not working. But then uh, I double checked and it looks like no one had said anything. Yeah, I think everyone, it's that time of year, everyone's really busy. Things to be done, people playing with tech. I think it's, I think we're a little bit past the most, was it the most depressing day of the year or something like that? That's early February, is it? It just seems like this whole time of year. I'm looking forward to the summer. Nice bit of warmth again. But you jet set away all the time anyway, James, don't you? Well, I've got a nice little holiday lined up at the end of the month, going uh, out to India, going out to Goa to uh, Hmm. sit on a beach and um, relax. Should be suitably warm. Yeah. Well, at the moment, it's like 34 degrees and sunny. So I'm like, okay, you need to stay exactly like that for the next few weeks and not just have a torrential downpour of rain when I get there. I, I get paranoid though, James. So here's one for you. Oh, but you're one of them, aren't you? You're a screen protector, man. How can you deal with sand and devices? That's what I was going to say. So they go into holiday mode. Okay. So they get a case. And Is a, this like when people put wrap on their cars? Yeah. For, you know, <laughs> or a chains in the winter when you're going to be driving over snow. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, obviously when you're going to a beachy area, then the full-on screen protector goes on, the case always goes on and it's fully protected at all times yeah mm. so even even in and out of your pocket i would say that um you know a bit of sand here and there scratching it's probably not good to have uh sand in and around because it only i guess it only takes one or two grains of sand to get in between the case and the actual phone for you to uh, put some scratches on the body mm. but given that these screen protectors these days most of them uh, you know, attach to the entire surface of the front, you're not going to get a grain of sand underneath there. So the screen should be okay, albeit the body might take a couple of uh, slight scratches. But then how would you know? Because you'd have to take the screen protector off to see if there was a scratch underneath. Well, the screen, I do do this thing with screen protectors where I do buy spares. So Ignorance is bliss though, because if it's under, you won't see it. Well, that's true. Uh, <laughs> I suppose it could be, yeah, be somehow it could be sort of set underneath the screen and you'd never know. But uh, now I'm pretty cautious with my phones, especially when I'm traveling in terms of making sure that they've got uh, really good protection. Although, you know. I'm, yeah, I'm still not using mine. Still going naked, so they say. That is just, I mean, that is the most, that's the, I just can't get my head around how you can carry a phone completely naked. And just what happens when you drop it and it just, drops onto the concrete and puts massive chunks out of it. I don't generally try and drop it, touch wood. But it it started, didn't it? When was it? I think it was a year ago now, or back with the iPhone 8. And I think I was putting on screen protectors and I was getting bits caught under them. And you said, you know what? I've just had enough of this. The stress that these screen protectors are actually causing me is probably 10 times more stressful than actually just dealing without it. And I'd been diehard for years, James, like ever since... The glass was, you know, put on the front of these phones. Um, and, yeah, I just thought, I've had enough of it. Let's just take it off. And uh, I've been, I would say quality of life, I've been happier. Yeah. Are there no, scratches there? Yeah. They are scratches, yeah, definitely. But no. I, deep down inside, I feel a little bit better. I do run my um, iPhone SE without any uh, case or any screen protector. And that is, you know, I do take a lot of pleasure using that phone completely um you know uninhibited by rubber and glass so i do know i can totally take the attraction but when you've got an expensive phone i always think no you've got to just uh these days if you get a what i'm doing at the moment is i'm putting the glass screen protectors on and if you get a good one then you can hardly tell the difference between touching the original glass or touching the screen protector glass and then uh i'm now using rather than the rubber tpu cases i'm using these hard plastic cases that are very sort of thin 
and therefore it reduces the bulk of the phone down to something that's pretty close to the original. So I'm pretty happy with that. So the situation I'm in with the, I've got the XS Max or the 10s Max and uh, I'll use a case on it in the gym because it's going on the floor and on, on bits of gym equipment while I'm working out. But then, and I'll also use it in the car because I've got one of those little shelves underneath the radio. And it, it's um, not the leather apple case, it's the other ones. What are they called? Oh, um, silicon. Silicon, that's it. And, and that stops it from sliding about. Because if I didn't have a case on, it would slide about. But any other time, if I'm, it's, it's in my pocket and I'm you know, outside and all that sort of stuff, jazz, I don't use a case. And by far, the phone is a lot, lot slimmer because it's a big phone. Yeah. And um, it, it's surprising what a massive difference it makes. Yeah, yeah, I can totally... Uh... Totally appreciate that. So if we think about the first uh, topic for today is um, iPads. Uh, do you mm. have like a big rubbery case on your iPad with a big sort of thick plastic sticker on the front or a big glass screen protector on the front? No, I've got a big glass smeary mess. You've got, you've got the iPad Pro, haven't you? Or the first gen? I've got the, I think it's the second gen 12.9. Second gen. What do, so I, I, I obviously the 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 topic that we've got is I've gone all in on the iPad Pro. I've got rid of my MacBook Pro, and I'm trying to do everything with the iPad Pro. The got the it's the 11 inch. I've got the smart keyboard, the Apple keyboard, and I've got the pencil. But just quickly before we delve into that, do you find that that coating is super smeary? It's it's worse than on the phones, and I think it's got something to do with the fact that it needs to be able to track the pencil. Yes, I I do notice that it is quite a smeary screen. Mm. Um, and do you use a protector on it? I don't. No, no. I, I that is my iPad is pretty naked because I do have the smart cover, the smart keyboard cover, but it's the old school style where it leaves the back completely um, empty and yeah. uh, only only closes over the front. Um, so yeah, every now and again I clean the front of my iPad and then it's really, really nice. But most of the time it's just sat there covered in smears and looking pretty gross. Yeah, and, and I think it is worse on this generate these generations because they've got they've done something to that oleophobic coating, if I'm pronouncing that right. The... Yeah, it's almost as if it hasn't got one really. I mean, yeah. if you've got a good oleophobic coating on a phone, you kind of forget about it, but whenever you look at it, you know, if you do think about it, you realise it hasn't got loads of smears and, you know, uh, fingerprints all over it. But certainly this iPad, yeah, it does get a little bit smeary. But um, yeah, apart it, from uh, a slightly smeary screen, what's your verdict on the uh, iPad Pro 11? I, I like it. So, like, as I said, I, I've gone all in and I thought to myself, I thought I'd dig my laptop out of my bag once every two weeks uh, and I thought you know what I do a lot of my viewing of YouTube and, and everything pretty much on the phone because the phone's quite big in itself so I thought for for what I get the laptop out I could manage with this iPad Pro and I can I really can um, I've got shortcuts to do things like extract um, to download fo- you know download um, links to iCloud files they call it so I'll literally copy the link off a web page, hit the shortcut. That'll take the one that's in the copy and paste memory and just download the link for me. So things like downloading from the web and all that sort of stuff, I've got that fine. Again, shortcuts for zip files are extracting them. I've pretty much got that nailed. There's a few things that are slightly annoying. It just, I won't. So I'll categorize annoying by slightly slower. There's ways and means of doing everything, but it's just not as fast. I wish they would give me a mouse support. <laughs> really? This is what oh, I gosh, don't yeah. get. Yeah. I, I really wish I could just plug a mouse in okay. and navigate well, around. I think we're going to we'll definitely come back to mouse. What mm. are the other things where you find that you're uh, hitting the limits of the iPad and that you'd want to do more? Um, file management isn't amazing. To be fair, but um, which file management? Because I I see all these limitations. Yeah, but. I don't think I ever try and do anything on my iPad that hits those limitations. So, yeah, I know that I can't move a file on and off a USB thumb drive the whole time, but I've never needed or wanted to do that on my iPad. So what are, what are the real life scenarios where you think, ah, this has stymied me? I want to say I just could do with Finder on there, a really decent 
So you can have multiple windows to, to drag and drop folders. So I, I use the Files app, and obviously that sticks everything in the cloud. But let, so let's say I'm pulling down some exports for you know to sort a podcast out. I only got the 64. I'm kicking myself, actually, for getting the 64 gig one. I don't know why I did. I, I just assumed that because there's lack of... There's, it's all in Apple files, you know, iCloud files anyway, that be offline, but it, it temporarily stores it on the device, doesn't it? Well, that's Which the one that that's the one that I would get. I would get a 64 gig one. Yeah, I wish I'd got the 256 because uh, think about it. Let, let's say I take a 4K video on um, on the iPhone. Loads. Let's say I take six or seven 4K videos. There may be a gig, a gig a pop. That's seven or eight gig. Um, I want to put them together in iMovie or an application. Um, I select the media, I can select them from the photo library, but it needs to pull them physically in. So it needs to pull them into iMovie, so it needs to store them on the disk. You then need to store that rendered project before you render it out. So you are collecting and, and putting together big files. Yeah, I can see that. I can see so if, if you've got a few apps, you, you're going you're gonna to hit the limit very quickly. Yeah, so. I think it's because I think it's because I only use my iPad for stuff that doesn't, as I said, doesn't hit these limits, doesn't yeah. hit these limitations, and therefore I don't think I use a huge amount of um, memory on it. I think I checked and I was using like forty-one out of my current six. I think I did get the sixty-four, so forty-one out of my sixty-four, and you know that that's fine. But then I'm not really uh, using it for, for any hardcore work. So, so that's 41 gig of installed applications. You now can't really manipulate content on there. I don't think I have any um, video or content like that on there at the moment. So yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, if I, you would hit that. I, yeah, I suppose if I was going to do too much more with it, then I probably would need uh, the bigger disk. But then you're just getting ridiculously expensive once you go up you, to 256. Yeah, you are. And, and you cost it up. And I think it's something like £1,100 all in or just over with the pencil, the keyboard, to replace a MacBook Pro. And then you sort of think, well, what, what am I actually saving? Yeah. So I've literally just re- basically replaced a MacBook Pro with a slightly one hand behind your back. So you can actually do it. Um, I can access all my file shares and everything um, through applications. You know, So my, my network attack storage on my server and things like that. I can get access to all that. So that's all there. But again, it's just pulling it off and dumping it somewhere temporarily. Mm. That's the, that seems to be the issue. It's just a, just put it there while I copy it there. But I could I could see them introducing better file management in uh, the next iOS, and I can kind of imagine them doing a pretty good uh, finder if you want to call it that. Because I think it's a bit like files. It's one of those applications that uh, will only surface when a geek seeks it out. You know, mm. so when a geek plugs in a camera or a USB drive or something like that, then you can have this sort of finder interface pop up and do your file manipulation. So I, I think Apple will quite happily go down that road. I don't see them going down the mouse road. So mm. what, what are the things that you think are ah, actually I could do with just having a mouse to whip around here on? So the pencil has alleviated it slightly. So I, I managed to edit a whole podcast, James, on the iPad Pro. I downloaded a piece of software called the Ferrite Pro. Quite expensive, actually, as iOS software goes, about £30. Um, but it enables you to pull in multiple tracks and sync them up and line them up. That is incredibly clunky. The pencil enables you, to some extent, to do what you could do with a mouse, so imagine, you know, let's say we want to edit something in a podcast, don't we? We just want to highlight a bit and maybe just delete it. Simple, simple thing like that. Yeah. You would just you would drag over it, highlight it, right click, delete, let's say. Well, you have to, A, you've got, let's say you've got a whole track in a row. You need to find the bit that you want to edit out and you need to split it. So you need to draw a line down with the mouth, with the pencil, um, to the left of the point where you want to cut and then draw a line down to the right hand. So you split the track in two and now you've got three sections. You've got okay. the section you want to delete, the front section, the back section. So then you could just mash away tapping on it. And I, I for the life of me, have not figured out the, the tap combination for this, but you tap it an infinite number of times and you eventually get that sort of more menu that you usually get in iOS where it says copy, paste, delete. So then you can delete that. But then you've got to drag the two bits back together and then do some again some hokey pokery with the pencil to try and stitch them back together whereas with a mouse what would you do you would just highlight the section and click delete 
Yeah, but that sounds to me like a software problem, not a hardware problem. No, that sounds no, to me like they've it, made it too complicated. You, but you're limited with cutting. your input, aren't you? How else would you do that? How how else would you split a full track with your finger or a pencil? You yeah, don't have a right click. Yeah, you I don't like... have you don't have a highlight, so you've got to block it out. Yeah, I can kind of see where they're going with that if I visualise it in my head. But in, I'm kind of also thinking, you know, maybe having. Uh, like arrows to do the selection so you can kind of drag arrows left and right and then maybe you've always got a cross mark that you can press they do this but once you split the track right okay okay Hmm. yeah no it doesn't sound great but i always think you know they've they've got this sort of tablet uh computer and the tasks that you can do on there are finger-based tasks and one of the things that always uh crops up when I'm using a surface with a touch screen is everything's totally compromised between touch and mouse. So if, you, if you're on a Mac OS, uh, all of the touch points, as it were, all of the, you know, if you think of those little tiny bubbles that you close a window on, you know, on Mac OS, they're tiny because you've got a really super accurate mouse you're sort of whipping up there and clicking, whereas all the touch targets on iOS are really big. And you don't want to mix those things. So if you look at um, the worst bits of uh, Windows 10, where it's mixing uh, touch and mouse input, it never satisfies both. And you've always got this compromise where you've either got the buttons too big for the mouse or too small for the touch. Mm. But that's the thing, James, though, that they are sort of trying, they're, they're shifting, aren't they? They're shifting so that this will be the laptop replacement in the future. In a few years' time, they want us to move to these, uh, you know, hybrid devices. But what, away I, from what I think they should do is stick to the use cases that a tablet can easily achieve. Don't try and uh, cram in the old use cases that rely on a mouse and a keyboard look for new ways to achieve the same goals that's what i would want them to do i it really it kind of winds me up when people say oh uh the ipad pro won't be a proper computer until they get xcode on it and i always mm. think you know what on earth would you want xcode on an ipad for you wouldn't in the same way that i don't want xcode on a iphone you know i don't want x i don't want xcode on my apple watch you see people like Vene Ritchie, don't you, and Mike Hurley and all these podcast creators going on about how they use these iPads. As they must have incredible amounts of time or patience because I find it just slows the workflow down at the moment. But also if all you're doing is um, word processing, basic office stuff, basic um, PIM, personal information management stuff, um, you want to use a few apps, you want to do a few uh other tasks that lend themselves to sort of touch input then the the ipad's perfect hmm. so so what are the other so what are the sort of other power user um bits that you're using so so for me i i was I, that that's part of the reason i went for the ipad pro i it's occurred to me that most of the stuff that i like to do is stuff with a command line a terminal a server remotely i can do that on the ipad I can remotely connect through to say our our website servers and you know have a mess about with the configuration on there or I can do all of that with with through terminal apps on on the iPad so it's perfect for that maybe I'm not a power user that's why I never pulled the MacBook Pro out yeah. of the out of the bag and I'm happy just to sit at a desktop do desktop related things and then pull the iPad out if I you know want to watch a bit of YouTube and what what irks me more is the fact that I know that processor in that iPad was faster than my MacBook Pro, and f- for me that was the tipping point. I thought to myself, I thought I've got I've got a powerful MacBook Pro here, but I've got an even more powerful iPad Pro here. I you know let's make it my main computer. Yeah, yeah, and, and do all these super tasks, but I don't do super tasks, I suppose. But I it's know. so attractive, isn't it? They just because yeah. you know that that the web browser on that iPad is just going to. <laughs> get stuff done quicker than anything else it's just so tempting just to grab it and, and go for it because you know it's not gonna miss a beat in mm. terms of getting to where you want to get to i i love benchmarking that ipad it the, this geek bench scores that come out of that are amazing I tell you it's just puts a lot of the even them apple's 
MacBooks line to shame. So do you got the uh, 11 inch 64 gig uh, Wi-Fi only or cellular? Cellular. I went for cellular. So that's the exact model that I was thinking of getting. So uh, yeah, when you're thinking of um, upgrading to 256, I might uh, (laughs) be able to give you a very mate's rate low deal for it. When I suddenly decide I want a, a laptop again, James, I'll uh, I'll switch it out with you. Yeah, yeah. Bear me in, <laughs> I, bear me in mind. I think it, I think it's telling though that I've come. I'm, I'm working away for a couple of weeks, and um, rather than solely rely on the MacBook, uh, the MacBook, the iPad Pro, I've gone and picked up my uh, sort of Hackintosh that I run as my desktop and a ah. monitor, and shoved that in the car. Okay, so you know. talk us through the Hackintosh because I think. Um, my Hackintosh is kind of lying uh, in the corner of the room at the moment because I haven't got round to uh, upgrading it to Mojave. But I think yours is in a slightly uh, better position, isn't it? Yeah, I think Mark, Mark Peters as well, he tried to do the similar thing to me. But I, 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 I literally just went with uh, the HP Elite machines that you see that in every single office. They're, they're Hackintosh compatible straight out of the... Uh, out of the gate, all the hardware in there is literally replicates an iMac. Or the or the only thing I had to do was um, put in a more beefier graphics card to support Mojave, and uh, I've never had any issues whatsoever. I've managed every time a update comes out, I run the update. I don't need to do any special, you know, treatment to it. I literally run it through the App Store. It updates. It restarts. Solid, solid as a rock. Mm. So, you know, that's like really said, interesting. Mm. It just seems that the the HP Elite, the office machines, um, they literally just mimic the iMacs. I had an older one, the 8000, which was a Core 2 Duo. That was old. Um, And then I got this i5 machine and I upgraded that to an i7, 16 gig of RAM, uh, NVIDIA, I think, GT7 something graphics card. And it literally is the same as a 20, uh, I think 2015, 2014 iMac or something like that. Okay, so the i7 you've got in there is, is sort of four or five years old, is it? Or? Yeah, yeah. So tw- I think i7-2600. I so. Okay. But it, it runs it runs beautifully. Uh, again, I benchmark it, and it benchmarked better than my MacBook Pro. So, oh, that's know. interesting. And that was uh, a 2015 and all sorts of jazz. Okay, so I'm running just a Mac Mini 2012 at the moment. Uh, and I think I, I do get much better performance out of my Hackintosh. Mm. But uh, as I said, I haven't, my, my Hackintosh is slightly fiddly in that um, I didn't go for the um, most compatible uh, list of motherboard and CPU and all the rest of it. I kind of built it with the spec that I wanted first. And then I tried to sort of uh, fit the Hackintosh on there, which I don't, I wouldn't advise anyone no. to do. But um, I wanted one that was completely passive and fanless and small and that led me down a very particular path of uh, uh, exactly a specific motherboard and cpu and everything that i would get so uh, i can kind of get it working and i get it working and it works for a bit and then uh, it doesn't work and then uh, it takes a lot of effort to get it working again so that's uh, where i am so i'm kind of thinking that i might because i was tempted with this new mac mini yeah they look nice don't they but they're hideously expensive. And I was mm. thinking, well, really what you should do is um, just do a Hackintosh again. Either, you know, get your current one up and running or uh, build a new one. But this time I would go straight on the forums and I would just say, OK, what is the most compatible, the most worry free set of hardware? And just look at getting that and, you know, bump the CPU and uh, memory up to the max within the constraints that, that would be provided. Yeah, I, I literally this 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 HP machine. It, it's nothing pretty to look at, but I think I picked it up from Gumtree for fifty pound with an i five in, and and uh, eight gig of RAM. So I upgraded the memory to sixteen gig, and I bought an i seven for. I think the i seven was about eighty quid, and then I got the graphics card. I think that was thirty forty pounds. Again, it's just a low profile. Uh, I've got it here, GT seven ten. So nothing massively. Uh, amazing i just needed to be able to plug all three of my monitors in which okay. th- that enabled me to do okay and um it's all supported right out of the box literally right so, out of the box. so all of the um has it got bluetooth built in i've got i just plugged a dongle in the back i didn't okay. even check to see i just and I sound card is, it, is is the built-in sound card supported yeah built-in sound worked 
perfectly fine. It's even got a speaker built in if you don't want to plug speakers in, and that mm. works. For, that works a treat. Um, Ethernet worked. No, no, no issues whatsoever. The card reader on the front just works. Uh, it does sound quite nice, actually. I might have yeah. to get the details of that off you. Yeah, I, as I said, Mark Peters, he tried it, and um, um, he said he, he struggled with it. But again, I, I literally just downloaded the image that a, there was a complete guide to it on online on the Tony Max Hackintosh forums of everything you need to do. And I literally just followed that to the letter, and I've never had a drama with it. I this was running um, High Sierra, and I just upgraded to Mojave, no problems. What was um, that done without having to get the whole boot disk going and everything? Yeah, yeah, I didn't need to do anything. I just just updated it through the app store. Uh, that's interesting. So I might try. Uh, mine one is currently on High Sierra, so I might try updating that to Mojave and see how we get on. Uh, the good thing about having my old Mac Mini is I know that I'm never going to be totally without yeah. uh, the Mac, and I can sort of play about a little bit with the Hackintosh. But uh, it would be good to have a totally rock solid one. See, I've got the what I've got the 2014 Mac Mini as well. Uh, that's my home server. Um, so if push ever came to shove, I could just put that into operation. But uh, that 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 performs its duties day in day out for the last five years. Never missed a beat. Touch wood. <laughs> so, so on the subject of uh, sort of hacking operating systems onto uh, hardware that it wasn't originally intended, <laughs> I hear you've been doing a little bit of this on the mobile scene as well. Yes. Uh, so I've been iOSing, haven't I? I'm iOS all the way, and do you know what? I'm am I bored of it? I don't really do en- enough with my phones, really. To, I mean, you, I, our back channel is full of, of of you guys buying and selling and this and that, and I've just come to the conclusion that I'm not an overly complex user. I take photos of the children. I want them to upload to the i um, to the cloud, and my, um, everything's fine, but. Occasionally, I do want a little bit of a play, just like the the next man. So, um, I got an S five, got a really really cheapo S five, um, and I put is it lineage, lineage, lineage? How do you pronounce? I call that? it lineage, but I think I don't know why. I think that's just because I think of it as a lineage from a history point of view, back to um, cyanogen mod. But yeah, it could be lineage. I don't really know. I, I I popped that on it, and I tell you what, that has that phone is amazing with that on it's eight point one that I've got on there, Android eight point one. Is it eight point one? It's eight point one, I think. Eight point zero one. Anyway, as I said, more I'm than not, likely eight point one. I think I'm not a I'm not an Android uh, Uber user, but um, it's it's rock solid. It, it works really nicely. It's really fast. I turned off the animations because I think that that slowed it down a little bit. But it's the S five plus, I think. Um, where it came with the eight oh Snapdragon eight oh five versus the eight oh one on the initial launch. Um two gig of RAM. I just got the sixteen gig one and um yeah, it flies. Really really good fun actually. So does the fingerprint sensor work on it? Yep. Yeah, it works well. As well as the S five's fingerprint sensor ever did. Yeah, because it yeah. what well, it took a little while for Samsung to get their fingerprint sensors working, didn't yeah, was it yeah. is it a swipey one or is it a hold down one? It's sort of like a magic rub. Like a genie's okay. bottle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't like those ones that Samsung <laughs> did. No, that was there. We're copying Apple, but we're not copying Apple. Look, we're different. Yeah, the, it never worked very well for me. I always ended up um, disabling it. But the S5 is a really interesting phone because I just completely discounted straight out of hand the Samsung phones around that era. Mm. The S4 and the S5 were so bogged down with horrible software yeah. and horrible themes and sounds and it was just like really nasty um so the fact that you've successfully put lineage on it is really interesting because actually the specs on that s5 especially if it had the uh snapdragon 805 it's not too bad no it's it's a good little phone and um i've been ex- i mean part of the reason is i, I gave my uh, daughter uh, likes to watch youtube and she's always either asking for my phone or the wife's phone, and we're giving things. And I thought, you know what? Let's let's see how it fares because I've tried other older iPhones, iPhone fives, fives S's. Five, the five S was okay, um, just to play YouTube. And, and you can tell that they're not as modern as, as you know with the experience. Yeah, so she gets yeah. frustrated trying to the slow slide of the animations and things as she's trying to change change the videos but again playing youtube on this s5 and the youtube app loads up the animations you know when you slide up from the bottom to pick the videos and move them about 
really smooth, no frustration whatsoever. Um, and, and the good thing about it, obviously the soft keys at the bottom, she occasionally touches them and it, it, it would force it out. But within Lineage, we'll call it, um, you can actually disable those. So you can disable auto rotate and the soft keys, and it literally is a dumb player that works really fast. So, um, yeah, I think, how much did I pay for that? About £40 as well. And add to that, once she drains one battery, you can just pop another one in because it's removable. Yeah. So when you say the you can disable the buttons on the bottom, do you mean you make them hide so that you need to swipe them back into position or No, so on on the S5 they're they're it's still phys- physical buttons, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, or they're sort of light up, don't they? Capacity sensitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can actually just disable them in software. So you they they still push and they feel like you you know, they vibrate but they don't actually activate anything. But how's that going to help if you want to actually exit well, she doesn't. She's, she's she's not old enough, really, to get the concept of the operating system. She knows a way around the YouTube app, um, and that's about it. But what she was doing was she was catching the multitasking button, so yeah. she was always coming out of it and you know into the overview. And okay, it, so how do you get out of the YouTube app? I just push the home button. She knows not to push the home button from the iPhone days. Okay, so don't home, push the home button. Right, so the home button works, but it you disabled the other two buttons. Yeah, because when she's holding it, she's just catching them. But she knows not to push the home button because that uh, always takes okay, you back. Okay, that's clever. I've, yeah, I've trained her in the ways of iOS. Okay, <laughs> so and yeah, she's not it, thrown the the Android phone back in your face and said, "No, get me a you know <laughs> five hundred quid iPad, Daddy." So that's good. She does get hold of the iPad Pro though, so uh, yeah, it's uh, that's a dangerous game. It is worrying, but that's why I'm trying to uh, sort of um, what's it what's it called? Um, you know, not expose my loss as much, <laughs> so to speak. Well, you've seen how easy those uh, iPad Pros are to snap in half, so you don't oh. want someone uh, sitting on that and uh, causing it an accident. Yeah, don't snap it. There's the there's the key there. Don't bend it. I think um, well, Gav talks highly of the iPad Pro as well, doesn't he? Lumia Fusion. Yes, he, yes. He uses it to uh, to edit a lot of that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be without my iPad Pro, but then I get the impression that my 12.9 inch is a little bit more sturdy. I think... Um, Mind you, it's so big, if you did lie on it or sit on it, it would destroy itself as well, I suppose. So yeah. I guess you can't really get away from that. Did you get um, Apple Care for that? I, I didn't know, but I've got, I think, my home insurance. And then I've got the, I, th- I don't know whether my nationwide insures it, is it. They insure the screens on the phones. I'm hoping they do the iPads. Touch wood, I've had a good um, sort of experience with claiming for on the phone insurance with yeah. nationwide that I'm confident that the home insurance would provide a similar result yeah probably would i've always had good uh results with uh phones with house insurance that's been it's always been fine so that's yeah. good I, I, okay. i've been i've been through a couple of them the ipad pros by the way um the, one of them came with a bit of something underneath one of the lenses on the camera and um my, the one that i've st- i've got now that i've st- stuck with has uh, had a little nick in the uh around the charging you know the pencil charging port okay a bit of paint it's missing. In, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I took two or three attempts at getting a perfect iPad Pro myself. So the it's an, it's really weird. The quality control is so the, the 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 sort of the tolerances are so fine these days, aren't they? I mean, you yeah. get you know you get a dead pixel or you get a scratch or you get something that's not hundred percent perfect, and you know you, you feel obliged to take it back because you want, you've paid so much money that you money, need yeah. something to be perfect. But to try and get these things to be perfect is so difficult. I mean, I, I do have some level of um, appreciation for that. I remember when they were initially putting the iPhone 5s together. Do you remember oh, all those yes. news stories about how <laughs> difficult it was to actually get that chamfered bodied iPhone out the factory with no defects, just because it was so easy to get defects in either in the body or or, or some other aspect of it. It's, it was a real challenge for them to get that. And I, they keep pushing the envelope on the design and the thinness and everything else and the screen technology that um, they leave themselves open to these little tiny imperfections that are going to cause problems for people like me and you. Yeah, that's why you get yourself an old uh, Samsung phone that you don't really care. No, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, no, I've... Um, I've got a few phones and I've I've always liked playing about with Lineage. Um, I think the last one that I played about with was a 
an old S4 Mini that mm, I put Lineage They were on. terrible phones, they were. They were fairly awful, but they were <laughs> the perfect size. Yeah. They were the perfect, they were so thin, they were horribly plasticky, but you could get replacement backs that weren't plasticky. I had a had friend a nice, who, had, um, who had one of them, and he, I said, oh, what phone have you got? And he said, oh, I've got the S4. And you look at it, and it's like, that bears no resemblance internally to no, an S4. No, it's no, crippled it beyond belief. It was the old dual core snapdragon 300 was it oh, it was it, it, it was, was awful no anyway it was awful and <laughs> um uh yeah but we put lineage on it and it was bearable yeah um and so i did that just because of the size it was so perfect but the problem with that that had was it i never found a flavor of lineage that uh did the camera that the camera worked it would always mm. hang or there'd be some other problem with it so i'm kind of Almost thinking to not bother with lineage unless you're putting it on a Nexus or perhaps a OnePlus where, you know, you know that it's going to be absolutely bulletproof. Yeah. What I, the Samsung was a good, the reason I put it on was because it didn't struggle with the stock firmware, but it was only Android 6. And I just thought, you know what, let's, let's have a play and see what we can bump it up to. Yeah, it's definitely worth having a play with that. So just, just quickly on the iPad Pro again, um, if anyone listening can actually answer this question for me, if you can answer this question, James, are you meant to leave that pencil attached? Because I've had a couple of instances now where I have left it and I've come back the next day and my iPad has been totally dead as a doornail. And feeding, so that prompted me to think, are you meant to actually leave it or is this pencil draining it? And um, I've looked through all of Apple's material on their website and their knowledge articles and they don't specifically say to store it there. They say to place it there for charge. I I got the impression when they launched it that you should or could leave the pencil there stuck to it. But That's what I thought. But I, the, Either you've mentioned this before or somebody else has mentioned it to me that it drains their battery when they do have it stored mm, there. So I, I don't know whether it's been a bug in a particular iOS version that's caused it to be more dramatic or maybe just something I'm you know, software that I'm running or something. But there's definitely been two instances that I've come back and it's been zero. You'd and think it would be a real trickle charge, though, and it wouldn't drain an iPad battery, which is pretty huge. Yeah, I don't know. It might be a combination of things, you know, the cellular's on, the pencil's draining. I don't know. I have I've I bought a nice little case for it anyway, and I've taken it off, uh, and I haven't had another instance. So I may try it again and leave it attached and just see what happens. Mm. as a point of reference but anyway if anyone else can answer that then uh, please let me know yeah defeats the object really (laughs) so whilst i've not um bought any phones recently i did buy a device i imported it from america because you couldn't get it in the uk when i was buying it or couldn't seem to be able to um and i've been using that for the last week and uh it's a very dull thing but uh expensive nonetheless and uh, do you want to know what it is Go on. It's a hard drive, a hard but it's drive. no ordinary hard drive. Oh, right. It's a 14 terabyte oh. hard drive. It sends shivers down my spine to think you have got all of your data in one potential point of failure. So there is method in my madness, oh, which I will explain. There needs to be. Have you, you know the 321 back, backup method, don't you, surely? Well, yeah, it rings a little bit... Um, true but the, the way i've always done backups is i've just put it on a nas in the house mm-hmm. and of course that's not perfect because it's only physically in one place but it's raided isn't it it is raided yeah and i've yeah. had in my raid career uh i've only had one hard drive i think actually die randomly uh, you've been very lucky yeah, so I had I I've got load of, I had a whole bunch of these two gigabyte Samsungs, which were quite popular in the day, and none of those ever failed me. And then I've got a whole bunch of um, four terabyte um, Western Digital Reds, and one of those has failed me. And I I swapped it out, and it went in, and it restriped and everything, and it was all, all happy. So it's a good job that four terabyte one wasn't a single fourteen terabyte copy. Well, exactly, but here's. <laughs> Here's the theory, and I, I, you tell me if you think this is cheeky or not. So, Go on then. you know, you Backblaze yep. offers a backup, but they don't offer a backup of a NAS. No, they don't. But you have, to, you can do it if you uh, manipulate it. So the way that I'm manipulating it is, 
I'm copying my NAS onto this single hard drive. This single hard drive then goes onto a PC. Yeah. And then I use Backblaze to back up that PC, which also has this 14 terabyte hard drive on. So I back up my NAS. That, okay, I'll give you that. That's, so all your 14 terabyte drive is, is an intermediary. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, That's, that's, that's fine. I'll let you off. That's, so that's acceptable. If it, it died, I would say if it died tomorrow, but you, you know the thing about Backblaze is that it obviously, anyway, so the upload speed of my Virgin Media broadband is 20 megabits, yeah, which is really slow. So um, it'll take a little while to get all my uh, NAS data up there. And I'm kind of yeah. looking at it and I'm kind of now thinking, well, do I really need to back up in the cloud yes. uh, <laughs> all of my Blu-ray rips <laughs> when... You know, it's going to take like a week or so per Blu-ray or whatever ridiculous amount of time it is going to be. I just think, well, actually, is that my, actually um, worth t- my the time? My Plex drive died, didn't it, um, last year? That's the I. So my uh, my um, Mac Mini server has a bunch of drives connected to them, and the Plex drive died. Okay, uh, it was in Backblaze, but the time it would have taken to download the amount of data. I didn't deem it worth it, if that makes sense. But don't you have it. don't you have the thing where they'll send you a hard drive? Yeah, but they over they overinflate that price. It's it's but not. I suppose economical. if you've lost your, you know, all of your family pictures or whatever, yeah. then you would you would invest in that, or you'd, you'd make a judgment, wouldn't you? But it'd be it's much nicer to have the the um, the call to say, do I want to spend a I know. Not a small amount of money, maybe a big amount of money to get all of that data back rather than, oh, I've got no option. I've completely lost my data and I don't even have the choice. Yeah. So that that prompted me to do something similar to what you have. So I rearranged all the drive. I think I've got something like 20, 25 terabytes worth of drives connected to this Mac Mini, which acts as you know the NAS interface, basically. But I restructured it so that I have my software drive is now raided. So I've got two two drives just mirroring each other so there's one redundancy there plex okay. drive is in raid again redundancy and then i've got a couple more drives that host data redundant um all my pictures go on there but they go up to apple i've got another backup drive that they they go to and they also go up to backblaze and all that that raid stuff goes up to backblaze as well so on the fly if anything dies i've got a second copy with the raid of any, anything that i deem important um, but then, worst case, if push come to shove, I could re-download it for from Backblaze. Um, yeah. But that it prompted me losing that drive to think, you know what? It's very slow to get your data back when you want it, and it's better to have a local copy. Let's um, implement RAID onto all the drives that I uh, um, sort of value data. Yeah. On. Yeah. Some. I, I, you know, I've taken that twenty-five terabytes down to like twelve usable though, so not ideal. Yeah. And that yeah, would no, be better. Definitely. And actually, and as I've been going along, because um, uh, I knew that I was doing this, this is kind of initial sync upload into Backblaze, which, you know, I'm sort of only just starting. I'm kind of going through everything that I do have on my NAS and I'm thinking, yeah, I don't need that. I don't need that. <laughs> you know, I don't need an, you know, a Windows 98 ISO. Oh, you or do. A Windows I've got ISO. So I'm just like, no, nah, delete that, delete that, delete that. And actually, I think I'm probably going to get my... Uh, entire nas down to about you know 200 megabytes which i could probably put on a few floppy disks by the end of the day so don't don't delete that data james because i uh i was playing about with an old server uh, last week and uh the maximum version of esxi it would run it was 3.5 and you can no longer download that anywhere online and uh, in fact those esxi uh install isos were some of the things that i did delete you could have potentially deleted the only in the wild version of 3.5 maybe (laughs) It's it's almost likely to be honest. <laughs> I, I tell you another thing that I implemented as well because I, I uh, all doom and gloom and all that. So all my photos, get, all the family photos, realistically go into my iCloud account. Um, so I think there's something like thirty five thousand photos there, um, and they do all download onto a drive. So as I take them on the phone, I download the physical copy onto the server as well, so they are there. But they're also in iCloud. But I also thought to myself, what if, if anything happens to me, I have the 35,000 photos. 
how would the wife yeah, gain yeah, access yeah. to this? She she could potentially pull a drive that they all go on, but they're in a proprietary Apple format, aren't they? And she doesn't know really how to plug that into another Mac and access the library and pull them off. So what I did was I got, and plus all the drives are encrypted as well to the to the server. So I got a, a normal hard drive unencrypted and I plugged it into the server and I have a backup routine that will take the Apple Photos bundle, pull it out of the Apple's format and dump it onto this uh, unencrypted drive just as photos. So push come to shove, if anything happened to me, she knows which drive it is. She could literally just pull it out, plug it into any computer, and the, there the photos are there. So the family photos are safe. But it, it yeah, just struck good. me as we, we hoard all this stuff. And how can normal people or the other members of our family actually get access to these if they need yeah, to? Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, I mean, it's the, from the smallest thing is the whole um, digital goods. So you buy loads of films and music in digital format. And I know we're all streaming sort of and not buying uh, stuff anymore, but, you know, there are people that are going to want to buy films on digital and they're going to want to buy music on digital. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's no way for them to pass those things on. So that's really unfortunate. And it's, you know, okay, you might be able to make some provision for it, but no doubt that provision won't be according to the terms and conditions of the original purchase. Yeah. And um, it doesn't cater for you going under a bus. They're just, it we're, just, just, we're, we're just creating disappear. silos of information, aren't we, that other people yeah, can't absolutely. access? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, whilst we're sort of on, on this, it's you've got to look at uh, Ultraviolet, mm. which was the service that they put onto um dvds and blu-rays in the uk for the last what 10 years five years yeah they, they invested to be fair i'm actually shocked that actually was still going or is still going it, it never seemed to me that it, it was any sort of standard but it clearly stood a bit of time yeah now when you say you're surprised it wasn't any standard i mean the actual quality of the movies was pretty low so uh, you know, it was only ever, as far as I'm aware, stereo and um, maybe you could watch it in 720 or 1080, but the clients were very thin on the ground. In the UK, I think there's only one client, which mm. is the Flixster video client. I think, is it that? Or, That's what um, I mean. It, it always seemed to be a horrible bit of software as well. Yeah. So, I mean, the fact that Ultraviolet has died is not, you know, he's gone out of business or is going out of business in the summer is not. A huge surprise and you know it was pretty shoddy but it's just another drm digital goods service that is going to go away and it's inevitably going to be inevitably going to be taking some people's content with it you know they're they're sort of saying that you if you've registered with a a partner and you've you know kind of logged your ultraviolets with a retailer that they'll stay with the retailer but i'm wondering if that's actually going to be the case in all cases but i suppose we wait and see for that but it certainly is a wake-up call for how fragile these uh, digital purchases are and it also makes you think well i kind of i can't buy anything for unless i buy it from google apple facebook or one of these other really big major uh, american tech giants that isn't going to go out of business in the next uh, few days but no. you know these tech giants change their ways quite often don't they i'm sure that there's been microsoft services that have um, gone away i think htc um, admittedly that's a much smaller manufacturer but they had a video service that went away and took everyone's videos with it so it is a very dodgy dodgy area and it's why i think i still feel um secure in you know, buying the physical discs and making the backups as necessary, you know, yeah. and putting those on a NAS. And therefore, it's I've, you know, physically got them. I can physically touch them. But yeah. if they're on a NAS, it's difficult to physically touch it. But you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm like that. We we have our Plex libraries, don't we? And I I hoard software. So all the, all the freeware and all the, all the, they call it abandonware now, don't yeah. they? The yeah, sites yeah. dedicated. I, I hoover up as much of it as I can and I, I log it on my NAS, well, on the server and catalog it and because things <laughs> do go away. Yeah, you're I'm, making me regret doing all this mass deletions yeah, that I did well, over well, the weekend of know, uh, all of these install programs for things that are probably not uh, saved anywhere else on the entire exactly. internet. Exactly, it's preservation, it's historic, isn't it? It's like Time Team. 
Yeah. You know? Well, that's it's def it's a definite urge to archive and you know categorize all this stuff. You know, I've got all of my photos very fastidiously um, archived, and the good thing about that from the photos point of view is I've put all of them on Flickr and on Google Photos, but Google Photos I've not done the sharing with, but on Flickr it's pretty much shared. Yeah. And I know that there's at least two other members of my family that have got access to all my photos on Flickr just via Flickr. So, you know, worst case scenario, if I go under a bus, they can at least sort of download painstakingly from Flickr all of my uh, photos. Yeah, no, it's it's important. Another example, I, I was playing with, you know, the old XDAs that I, you know, the XDA devices that I post pictures of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was wanting to upgrade the software because what else would you do on a Friday night, hey? You would... Well, you'd probably, on a Friday night, you'd probably get an old Windows device and, you know, muck about with putting a latest version of, you know, Windows CE 6 onto it, I would imagine. Well, exactly. And I went to XDA developers because that's the place you'd go to get the, the, the ROMs. And you know what? Didn't have any. But I, I, I did a search for XDA on my NAS. And you know what? I downloaded their whole FTP server at once upon a time, and I had nice. it. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. That was. A, I tell you, I don't know what I was doing. I must have had in a slow Saturday afternoon one day years ago, but uh, I, I got the whole content, so I didn't need them. I just did it myself. Yeah, so. I was looking through, and I did have some um, Symbian ROMs for various different um, Nokia devices, and I don't think I deleted those. I thought, you know, oh yeah, a uh, Symbian Bell firmware for a you know, an N8. Yeah, that'll be useful at some point in the future. <laughs> exactly. So if we um, move on to uh, other sort of things to do with media around the house, and one of the problems that, uh, one of the cheapest ways to get sort of media from A to B and put it on your TV is to use a Chromecast. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we've all probably got a lot of Chromecast lying around. Certainly the original ones that came out, they started giving away, you know, cheap as chips didn't they it was kind of like um they were being picked up left right and center um now i know you've got a chromecast and you've managed to crack the whole using it without a router which well, is a bit it, of a uh, academic challenge isn't it well it was a frustration last night really as we record this basically i'm traveling for a couple of weeks and uh, i took a telly obviously like you do uh, but i don't have a router i don't have any anything any connection and um a lot of the time, if you connect to hotel Wi-Fi or public Wi-Fi or anything like that, you, again, you can't, you, because of the way the protocol is, you, you can't pick up your Chromecast or everyone else can pick up your Chromecast. Um, so you can't stream directly to them, which for me is crazy. And I'm, I'm not sure whether the Apple TV does it. I've never really used it without Wi-Fi, but um, I was using the iPhone XS as the hotspot because, again, the Wi-Fi is poor. Um, and I was just struggling, so I came up with an ingenious solution. Uh, okay, I would have assumed that just using the 10s as a Wi-Fi hotspot would have done it, but no, no, because I wanted to use the internet connection on the on the on the phone as well, and you can't have the hotspot and the phone and the and the sharing at the same time. Okay, uh, it's, it's not you can't. So let's say I broadcast. Um, it didn't work. It didn't work. Okay, okay. <laughs> it didn't. I bashed my head against. They have a guest mode. Right, so that should work, but for some strange reason with iOS it doesn't. So I got out, I dug out a Windows Seven laptop, and I'm, what am I running on there? I'm running a piece of software called Wi-Fi Hotspot. Okay. So I turn the hotspot on on the iPhone XS, and then I connect my Windows Seven laptop to the XS. This Wi-Fi Hotspot then rebroadcasts that as a network. So then I connect the Chromecast to the rebroadcast network. Of the uh, of the hotspot, but then I can't oh. use the iPhone to cast anything because it's the one giving the in sharing the internet. If that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So then, so then I pull out the Samsung. Right. Okay. Connect yeah. the Samsung to the hotspot created by the Windows Seven laptop. Okay. And it finally puts me on the same network as the Chromecast. Ah, okay. So you need like a medal for this. This is um. Uh, I, this is a definite I, achievement. I was sheerly frustrated. I, I, I was determined I wasn't going to use the iPad Pro as a hotspot neither because I thought, you know what, the easiest way would be two separate networks, iPad Pro, hotspot, use the iPhone. But then I thought, I don't want my iPad, my shiny new iPad just sat there plugged into being the charge. sullied with such tedious matters as, yeah, uh, as just, just being used as a, a hotspot. Yeah, but it's crazy. I mean, why can't they just have a local stream to it? What What's to gain? Because you can have a guest mode, 
So let's say I connect, um, I, I share that Windows 7's internet with, let's say I connected to Wi-Fi on the, uh, or something on, on the Windows 7 laptop and I just shared it to the Chromecast. I could then not be connected to the same network theoretically in guest mode and just cast to the Chromecast, but it just didn't want to work on iOS or in, in the YouTube app. It would work in Netflix, but it wouldn't work in iOS. Um, yeah. So anyway, my convoluted solution involves more devices than is necessary. For yeah, something I think this should is be quite, simple. This, this is making me think that I need to take on the gauntlet and try and optimize this slightly and try and get uh, the a Chromecast working with yeah a travel Chromecast solution with minimum things, but um, obviously it would be fairly pointless because I don't actually use the Chromecast that much, and mm. I guess you could just use a uh, like an HDMI cable going into a USB C port these days. I tried that. I well USB C yeah. So I tried the HDMI from the Hackintosh. However, okay. sound comes out the onboard speaker on the Hackintosh. Oh, and that's surely two-minute fix in, uh, you know, some control panel in macOS somewhere. Well, I, I, I don't know whether... I think that the display port on the graphics card just sends a signal. It doesn't send the... I could just plug a pair of speakers in, yeah, you are right. But then I have to be in front of the computer to no, control the telly. No, I able to... I'm sure you'd be able to send the audio down the uh, HDMI cable. I'm not so sure. Not so sure. Maybe, maybe mm. with the third-party app, it's... It's a nightmare, and and considering I don't travel light, really, what have I got here? A telly, an actual desktop computer, a Windows 7 laptop, an iPad Pro, a Samsung S5, and a 10S Max. I mean, you're travelling light technologically, aren't you? That That is light, and I've also that's got an XP minimum. netbook from back <laughs> in the day, just in case. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's what you need, you know. <laughs> You, you need a coat big enough to have all that in, basically, don't you? That is... Uh, and just hope that it stays winter. Yeah. Let's hope the room that I'm in doesn't get raided because I look like I've set up some sort of mobile command center or something yeah, like well, that. Yeah, it's, well, it's, it sounds like you've definitely um, applied pure <laughs> hardware to get around this uh, Chromecast uh, problem, so that's good. Yeah. And then here we are, streaming all of this podcast over connection provided by the Tennis Max. Ah, okay. So that's good. So what yeah. network's that? Uh, EE. So okay. I think I'm only getting. I, I'm I'm wired in, so I've plugged the the iPhone actually via the cable in into okay. the Mac. Yeah. It's it's. Uh, I've only got two bars of signal, two bars of four G, and I'm getting about twenty meg down. Yeah, no, it's pretty good. It's been um pretty rock solid. Yeah. Once once upon a time, we wouldn't have been able to do this. No, pretty uh, not too long ago as well, because um it's only been there's there was definitely a a sort of turning point, wasn't there, in mobile. Where I remember it was for me, it was when I could listen to a radio broadcast continuously from like the centre of London out on the train to Reading and then, you know, back home from Reading and not interrupt the, the radio uh, broadcast over internet radio. And I thought, OK, we've definitely reached a uh, uh, a tipping point there where the mobile networks are good enough to do that. Yeah. And um, the next one will be video, of course. Yeah. Can you watch video from... Uh, the centre of London back to Reading uh, on a train without it breaking down. Mm. Well, the train will break down, obviously, but, yeah, but the, you know, the, what about the uh, video stream? I, I remember back in, I think it was 2003, 2004, we were moving office and uh, there was no internet at the time and I had an old laptop and, uh, well, it was plugged in via cable to... What was the what was the Nokia that was the first video calling one but didn't have the video call camera on, if you remember? It just had the back camera. It was the first 3G Nokia. Anyway... 76 it was the one after that 10? it had a bulbous bottom and it uh it was 3g but it it, it was 6600 hmm. i don't know i'll look it up yeah um it was one of the first and i plugged that in and i wowed everyone with the fact i had 3g uh or decent internet it was costing me a fortune <laughs> yeah, this was when uh, you only got uh, like a hundred meg yeah. of uh, allowance per month. Everyone was like, "Let me check my emails." Whoa, well, let's just let's just think on on that. Yeah, please. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not so fast. Good old days. I've already checked my emails for the day. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, what have I got now? About a hundred gig on uh, on a year. Hundred hundred twenty gig, I think. Yeah, they they a few years ago they it looked like they were trying to really sort of cut down the. Uh, uh, amount of data that they were going to give to people and make people really pay for kind of you know 50 gig 100 gig you know pay real big money but um yeah after that uh, black friday deal i've got 90 gig of data a month for what's essentially 10 or 20 quid so that's uh 
that's that's actually plenty. It's more than enough. Yeah, uh, you can tether with that quite happily. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, I hope so anyway, because otherwise it'll cost me a fortune. But yeah, well, we'll see. Uh, see how you get on if you're not. If someone's trying to live off their mobile connection and tethering see whether watching video and stuff does actually tear through 100 gig or not You'd yeah it'd be interesting probably be all right i think if i remember rightly i think i get through about 300 gig on my cable uh internet but that is um that's me just using it non-stop you know throughout the house so yeah. i would imagine that if you're just limited naturally by using it on a device that 100 gigs probably enough we use i think we use about 700 gig at home a month, so seven, yeah, yeah, seven six five, I think something like that. Um, so it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what I pull down, or whether it's just endless cartoons that are playing that does it all. Yeah, yeah. Um, no. Well, we've been going on for quite a while, James. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's been been a good chat. Well, have a good evening. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>